0: I'm going to get right into this tonight. Once again, there's a lot to cover, Um, and our scripture reading was taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Our message tonight is entitled, Playing with Darkness. Playing with Darkness, uh, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity on this, your Holy Sabbath day, to come before you, to worship you, to study your word and your truths. Lord, once again, make me only a nail on the wall. Upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let me not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. It's our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. We're going to go to the book of Acts, the 19th chapter. Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. And the Bible says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, And the evil spirits went out of them. The Bible here is talking about Paul kind of in his stride. Paul is so filled with the Holy Spirit that the book of Acts, Luke, the author, takes time to to mention that there were special miracles done. Paul was so full of the Holy Spirit that, um, if they just laid handkerchiefs or aprons on the, on, on the diseased, that the disease would leave them. Those with evil spirits, if the handkerchiefs or aprons touched them, uh, the demons would be driven out. It was powerful Holy Ghost movement. Now, this does not mean you go on the internet and buy, um, um, holy napkins and stuff and expect it to work for you. But it's a statement that Paul was so full of the Holy Spirit that even the thought of Paul, and more importantly, of the Christ whom he served, drove fear in the demons. Verse 13 says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying... We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and the chief of priests, which did so. So there's these seven sons who, who are, are have been known to be exorcists. And they're watching as Paul is so full of the Holy Ghost that he's able to do things they could never do. Now, I, I don't know if you all noticed, but exorcisms are very common in the world today. Um, in many parts of the world, they still happen. i read something once that um, they're, they're most uh, plentiful in Italy. I don't know if that's uh, that's still true or if that was even true then, but I know in other parts of the world, people do things to try and drive out evil spirits. These guys, and, and remember, the devil can put a spirit on someone to let someone take a spirit off, and um, these guys weren't legitimate. They weren't real, but they probably made their money Using this thing that they were able to drive out evil spirits. And when they saw what Paul was doing for free, when they saw that Paul had such great power that the demons fled at just the the, the 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 presence of Paul, when Paul would call on the name of Jesus, when they when they saw this, they wanted in on the action. And so they go in and they say, Listen, demon, we adjure you, in other words, we command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. These seven sons went in there expecting something incredible to happen. Acts 19 and verse 15 says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? The demon starts scratching his head who's this guy coming in here telling us what to do? Have you seen these seven guys before? Never seen them before. The demon starts to scratch his head wondering, "Who is this?" And let me warn you young people. One of the one of the foundational principles of our message tonight is that you have no power trying to use somebody else's Jesus. If it's not your Jesus, if you don't know him for yourself, you have no power. Listen, I grew up, my grandmother was a fierce Christian woman, Jamaican woman. And she would tell us some amazing stories from Jamaica when we were kids. She would tell us how when she was, when she um when she when her when her kids were little, and my my, my mother and my aunt Doreen backed this story up. And they were in the house one night. And some of the women, they called them Obia women, my grandmother would call them. And they worked what some might call like magic, witchcraft, even voodoo. And as they were in the house one night having worship, uh, my mother and my uh, my aunt Doreen confirmed that they began to hear horses running around outside the house. But when they looked out the window, there were no horses. They began to get afraid. And my grandmother took her kids, she had seven kids, took them to pray uh, in the main room. And they took them and they began to pray. And as they were praying, they could hear the horses running above the house. And all night they prayed. The next day, my grandmother was out putting out clothes on the line. And one of the women who was trying to attack her spiritually the night before, they would call her an Obia woman, came to my grandmother and asked my grandmother, Oman, what kind of magic you work in? My grandmother says that she responded to the lady, this is not magic. I simply called on the name of Jesus. I want to submit to you young people that as dark as this world gets, the power of the name of Christ still shines like a bright light. Even to this day, the power of, of, of the name of Jesus still causes demons to tremble. But you cannot call on somebody else's Jesus. And the reason some of us think, you know, this, this Christianity thing doesn't work. I, I prayed and nothing happened. But sometimes you're praying for Jesus like, like as if you are, are are throwing a coin into a well and hoping something good happens. You're not praying to a friend. You're not praying to someone you know. Paul knew Jesus. He had an intimate, personal uh, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he called on Jesus' name, he wasn't using some superstitious uh, act to try and get great, miraculous things to happen. Paul called on Jesus' name because he knew Jesus. The sons of Skeva went in there and said, Listen, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out, there was no power. As young people, we grow up, many of us grow up in Christian homes. And we see God work in those homes. We see, we see God show up. I remember when I was young, living on Tyler Street here in Bloomfield, Connecticut. And my mother was a single mother. I told you guys that earlier in the week. And I remember when we were going, she was going through some financial hardships. My father didn't want to help support us after he left. And I remember one night, I was very young at the time and it was a, it was a, I forget what night of the week it was, but my mother was, was distraught. She couldn't figure things out and she brought us together in the family room and had us pray. And we got on our knees and we began to call on the name of the Lord, even us as little children. And while we were there praying, the doorbell rang. Someone knocked on the door. We finished our prayers. And when we got up and checked the front door, there were bags of groceries sitting on the porch of that house. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus for yourself. Many of us as young people, we grow up around the church and in the church. We, we attend Pathfinders and we join the choir and we, we even go to academy or, or learn at home uh, or some, on a Christian curriculum. But it, none of that means that you know Jesus. The sons of Sceva, remember, their father was, the, was one of the head, chief priests. They were supposed to be spiritual and religious. The demon says, I know Paul and Jesus, but I don't know who you are. Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. Watch this, church, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Mercy. Can you imagine that's a reverse jumping? Normally, seven people jump one. One person jumped seven. And his, he, listen, the, demon, the demon-filled man beat them so bad, he beat the clothes off of them. That's a whooping. You imagine them running, screaming, naked down the street. <laughs> it's dangerous to play with the devil. What the devil always wants to do is make you naked. And I don't mean physically from clothes. I mean spiritually naked, not covered with the righteousness of Christ. That's his goal. He wants to leave you so that everyone sees your shame. And yet what we're finding is that more and more young people are beginning to play with the devil. We talked about drugs and alcohol last night. We talked about relationships and intimacy the night before that. I can tell you that all you can play with the devil in all of those arenas. But it, it would be I would be remiss not to speak this week on the fact that one of the biggest places young people have begun to play with the devil is in the area of spiritualism, witchcraft, even um, ancestral religions like, like Voodoo or obia. Santaria, all of these things are becoming more and more popular. This, this article says the U.S. witch population has seen an astronomical growth. One thing I read, it says that the fastest growing religion among American young people today is Wicca and witchcraft. More and more young people are playing with Ouija boards and, and, and they're doing their zodiac signs and they're having tarot cards read. Um, even uh, practices that seem kind of innocuous, like, like, like yoga. You've got to be careful. Those are great stretches. But if you dig deep, there is a spiritualistic route to many of these things. One of the stories I came across that I thought was fascinating is this one that one of the big makeup store chains in this country actually came out with this and put it in their store. It's called Pinrolls. It's a starter witch kit. So you, while you're buying your lipstick and your eyeshadow, you can buy a kit to start being a witch. They had to pull it off the shelves of the store because real witches were offended. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the world we live in. They had to pull this off the shelf because it would offend them. It's like, when I forget what movie it was, I think it was Harry Potter, the witches complained that, the, that they were riding the brooms the wrong way. We have watched as people who identify with Wicca in this country has shot up. We're watching a changing of the guard that, has been, that was prophesied. In the book of Revelation, it says that that out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet would come three spirits like frogs. We as Adventists always said that one of them was Catholicism, one was apostate Protestantism, but the third one was spiritualism, that in the last days, this would come to the forefront. Let me tell you something, church, if you want to know that the Bible is real, it would have been literally crazy to think 200 years ago, even 100 years ago, maybe even 60 years ago, to think that you would see a graph like this in the United States of America. But it's changing. In fact, this article, witchcrafts rise in popularity among youth, makes perfect sense. That's what this article says. They say, Wicca allows us to see power in womanhood, connect with nature, and adapt change. Um, And they talk here about this class at... um, U of A, I don't know which A university that is. Um, Maybe it's the University of Alabama, Mobile, I don't know. But it says Religion 274. They basically have a class in college that teaches witchcraft. Now here's what's funny. You, You couldn't have a class in college unless it's a Christian college that teaches Christianity. But witchcraft gets a pass. Spiritualism gets a pass. It is completely acceptable to be taught, to be showed. The books can be handed out in school and read. Bibles can't be handed out and read, but this can be. The Atlantic had a great article, Why Witchcraft is on the Rise. It says, Americans' interest in spellcasting tends to wax as instability rises and trust in establishment ideas plummets. So, to, so, to, so you get a rise. When we say something waxes and wanes, the wax part of it is the rising part, like how you build a candle. It waxes. The idea is more popular when there's instability um, and when a trust in establishment ideas plummets. What they're saying is that, listen, all of the ideas, the ideals of a Judeo-Christian society, those ideals are beginning to plummet. Young people see the, the instability in this. And like I said last night, if, this, if a God-sized hole is left, Satan will fill it with something else. So why are they saying this? Well, you see this one here? This is revolutionary witchcraft, a guide to magical activism. A fiery, inclusive guide for activists and witches alike. Revolutionary witchcraft is an empowered introduction to the history and practice of politically motivated magic. Now they're saying, listen, we want a revolution in this world. Witchcraft will drive it. That's powerful prophetic fulfillment. In the 1960s, when African-Americans were fighting for their rights through the civil rights movement, literally they prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ in churches before they went out and marched. There's a new activism coming, church. A different play And as you can see the world changing all around these concepts, if young people are not careful, this is one of the key warnings for the message tonight. If you are not careful, you can become so mad in this world and at this world that the devil will hijack your emotions and lead you away from God. There are many people who say, listen, I can't be a Christian because of its history of of racism and slavery. And they go on and they list all this laundry list of things, none of which has anything to do with biblical Christianity. They put upon biblical Christianity what man has done. And the proof in that is, I always ask people, so if we did away with all Christianity in the world, you're telling me this world would be a perfect place? But this activism fights against it, even in very, very um, needed movements. Black Lives Matter is a, there's a need for movement to, to to continue to change the racial tone of our country. But I'm not gonna, you look at what the article says. Black Lives Matter is a spiritual movement, says co-founder Patrice Cullors. This article, I think it's from the LA Times, it says, lifting up the names of victims is literally almost resurrecting a spirit so they can work through us. Find this article and read the whole thing. Basically, they pour out libations and do incantations in order to gain power for this movement. Young people who are not aware can be swept into things that they ought, that they probably never thought they'd get involved with. So much so that one of the biggest movements now is the rise of the satanic temple. And I watched a documentary on this. And now if someone puts up a, um, Nativity scene on government property. They file a lawsuit so they can put up a picture of Baphomet and these two children. And, and they, they, they they're move trying to make it so that they use Satanism as a form of activism. No wonder Jesus says, we're talking about this tomorrow night in Matthew chapter 24, that there would be a, a great time of tribulation. Can you imagine when people, the zeal for change is driven by their allegiance to the enemy of Christ Himself? What will the world be like for those of us who keep our allegiance to the Bible and to the God of the Bible? There is going to be a time of trouble like there never was. So, how did we get here? Well, you go back enough, you go back, you know, to the 1940s and 50s, the world, it, it, what this, it, this was, it all existed, but it was nowhere near as out, upfront. That's, that, you know, you'd have uh, popular, um, um, news channels, um, showing these things, um, as, as everyday normal. Well, it started really through music in America. This is a book called Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll. And he makes the the the, the, the powerful um uh point that in essence it was witchcraft in the occult that made rock and roll not fall off like other forms of music, but rise to the pinnacle and basically be a dominant form of music in the world. He points out how many of the people we commonly um, as Americans and people all over the world have listened to were actually occultists, meaning that they were into witchcraft. Music is one of the most powerful ways to do this because in the brain, we talked about the frontal cortex and the frontal lobe earlier in the week. But music is, is interesting. It I always say it bypasses the frontal lobe. But a better way to say it is that it is able to affect all of you at the same time so that the frontal lobe doesn't have a chance to process the information. I mentioned this earlier in the week, but that's why out of nowhere, you're cleaning your house on on a Friday afternoon, and all of a sudden, a song from your childhood, Motown, just pops in your head and you start singing it. You haven't heard the song in 20-something years. That's the power of music. So you got to be careful what you listen to. Because when it goes in, it doesn't come out. And it's interesting, speeches don't do that. You don't just get up one day and start saying, I have a dream. But you just sing songs. There's power in music itself. And even the power to learn, the power to understand things, to memorize things. Music simultaneously stimulates the left and right hemisphere of the brain. Both sides of the brain. It boosts learning and information intake, therefore augmenting cognitive skills. Learning may be increased fivefold. To this day, if I need to remember what letter comes after V, I sing. A, B, C, D. I sing it all the way up. Music makes you learn better. So here's the thing. If music makes you learn better, how important then is what you l- listen to? And does the devil then want you listening to stuff that will convince you of his worldview? We'll come back around to that in a second. But I submit to you, that's why it is important that we continue to sing the hymns, that we sing songs that, that encapsulate our doctrines. It is important that music is a part of all of these things because music is a way to put things in your mind. When we read the Psalms, David sang the Psalms. That's why he was able to say, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How powerful is music? This is what the Bible says about the devil. Ezekiel 28, 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. The Bible says, and when you look at what the scholars look at this text and say is that literally this is not referring to places where they put the stone. As some scholars say, this is speaking to him being a living, breathing, musical instrument. Satan was the choir director in heaven. So, of course, he can use music. So much so that when you look at the history of music in the United States, I know, young people, this is going back before your time. But if you go back to um, one of the great uh, great rock rock bands, um, the Rolling Stones, they made a song called Sympathy for the Devil. Guns and Roses later on made the song over again. And I want to submit to you that literally this is Luciferian doctrine. The idea that you should sympathize with the devil. He's actually the victim and God would never destroy this world and not give it to him. One day he will get it. If you ever read, have a chance and you can read Roger Minot's book, A Trip Into the Supernatural. That's literally what he was taught when he worshiped in the demon temple. Sympathy for the devil. It can confuse you through music. There was a song years ago called We Are the World. I never thought about it till I till I one day I was listening to the song, and in the song it says, We are the world, we are the people, we are the ones to make a brighter day, just you and me. Then it says, like God has shown us by changing stone to bread, it's true we make a better day, just you and me. But there's a problem in that lyric. God never changed stone to bread. When Jesus, who is God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1.1. 1, 1, and verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, who is God, when he was tempted in the wilderness that he should turn the stone to bread. He had fasted for 40 days, and the enemy came to him and tried to convince him. Look, the spirit of prophecy tells us even the stones looked like loaves of bread laying around. In his hunger, Satan said, listen, why don't you just be who you are and turn the stone to bread? If he had done that, we'd all be lost. Yet they sing this song, they used to sing this song in choir lofts and churches course even into hip-hop probably the greatest rapper of all time jay-z you see him here covering one eye that's a that's an occult symbolism there he's here with um with rick rubin on the left in the picture on the bottom who um with uh russell simmons started jeff jam records this is really how hip-hop was birthed um and the book, this is when he was filming the, the, the music video, 99, for, the, for his hit rap song, 99 Problems. Before he goes into the studio, the camera pans down on this book before they go into record. And the book says, magic, white, and black. G. Craig Lewis, who does the um, Truth Behind Hip Hop series, um, in one of his talks, he talks about um, the group uh, Color Me Bad. Now, one of the members from Color Me Bad um, uh, later left and became a Christian and became a pastor. Even Color Me Bad's biggest hit was a song uh, "I Want to Sex You Up." It was number one in the entire world. Basically, now, this now pastor, former singer, says that when they were making the song in the studio, they they had they hired witches to go into the studio and to put a spell on the song. He didn't think anything of it. He just thought it was crazy superstition. He says, but the, the spell they put on the song was so that 14-year-old girls would want to give up their virginity. And so this song, I Want to Sex You Up, went all around the world, number one in Australia and UK and US. And he says that the pastor, this now pastor said that when it was all over, he says that they began to get baskets of, of, um, of, of, of fan mail. And one after the other, after they opened it, 14-year-old girls, 13-year-old girls They'd open it, and the girls would say, thank you for making this song. It gave me the courage to lose my virginity. There's power in this stuff, young people. What we listen to matters. What we watch matters. Here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 5. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. And I know it's, this is this is tough stuff to hear in a world where everybody basically wants to have a good time, everybody wants to party and just just you know just you know everything is fine. But we cannot be we cannot date the devil and claim to serve the Lord. So magic gets bigger. Harry Potter comes out and the author J.K. Rowling says that these characters just appeared to her in a dream and, and, it, and it became the, like, probably one of the biggest selling book series of all times. And then, of course, movies and, of course, young people. She says that she started to get fan mail as well. And she said the fan mail that people were asking how they could, I forget the name of the school that they went to. Um, Hogwarts, yeah, that's it. Um, I never watched the movies. They, they, they got, the kids would write them and say, write her and say, I want to go to Hogwarts. I want to go to the school. And she'd have to write them back and say, it doesn't actually exist. And they would get very upset, charmed. You see the multicultural, um, charmed uh, witches now. All of this is to decrease your sensibilities. It started in like the 1960s with shows like Bewitched and I Dream of Genie, where they were very cute and, and it was very soft and very nice. But Satan has this way of creeping compromise. Introduces you to a concept in a very light way and then he begins to have it evolve to become stronger and more powerful to the point where now when young people in America feel like they're being disenfranchised or when some of them turn literally to the dark arts. Even in the superhero world, magic, witchcraft is is often the force now even for good. We're not careful, young people, when Satan comes as an angel of light, to deceive the world if what we have been trained to believe is that uh, there is light in all of this darkness we will be deceived the spirit of prophecy says it like this uh, actually apostles page 290 could the veil be lifted from before our eyes we should see evil angels employing all their arts to deceive and to destroy Wherever an influence is exerted to cause men to forget God, there Satan is exercising his bewitching power. When men yield to his influence, ere they are aware, the mind is bewildered and the soul polluted. The apostles' admonition to the Ephesian church should be heeded by the people of God today. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather... Reprove them. It's not enough to just not have any part in it. We've got to speak up and reprove it. The Old Testament prophet says, cry aloud and spare not. There's a truth and a warning that must be given. These deceptions are going to become deeper and darker as time goes on. First Timothy 4.1 says it like this. Now the spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. All of it is based on a lie because Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6, I don't have time to get into the whole state of the dead, but I'll read this one, these two verses. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. The dead can't come back and visit you. They can't give you advice. They can't pick the lottery numbers. If the dead show up, it's not the dead, it's the devil. I remember we were doing... um. Door-to-door evangelism work in Southern California, in San Bernardino, California, to be specific, Um, uh, our youth group. And I I wasn't in the neighborhood with the other ones. And when we got back to the church that first week, so many young people said, you know, and one of the youth leaders said, Dr. Walsh, next week you got to come to this church, this house with us. I said, why? What, what do I need? What, what, what's, what's going on? They said, well, the young lady we met there wants Bible study, and we prayed with her. But she says that when they go to sleep at night, when they wake up in the morning, the furniture has moved around all by itself. I said, so what do you want me to go there and do? <laughs> I said, I don't have a dog named Scooby, and my name's not Shaggy. I don't think I should go over there. And they said, no, Dr. Walsh, you got to go. So the next week, I went over there. And we sat with this young lady. We prayed with this young lady. And I said, there's got to be a reason this stuff is happening in your house. She gave us some terrifying stories. One of them was that her brothers were doing some pretty immoral things in the house. They were smoking weed. She said, but they were watching tons of horror movies. Tons of horror movies. And all of this stuff was coming into the house. And I said, listen, someone here has let in the enemy and he does not like the way you, have, you all have arranged your furniture. And we sat, we prayed. And She ultimately talked to her brothers. And there was a long process that they worked on to try and cleanse that house, to try and change things around spiritually in that house. But I want to submit to you that the dead can't come and remove furniture. They don't come and knock on the door and talk to you. The living know that they shall die. The dead, they don't know anything. But we live in a time when people don't believe in God, but they believe in ghosts. Isn't that crazy? In fact, I was on one of the, on, um, Clubhouse, listening to one of the conversations from one of the atheist rooms, and someone got on and was talking about an incident they had in their home country um, in the Caribbean where a demon picked them up and dragged them, and, and some of the atheists jumped in and said, oh, that's foolishness, that's foolishness. One of the athe- atheists was from Nigeria, and the girl said, listen, no, uh, no, no, I don't want y'all talking about any spirits in here. I don't mess with the spirits. I said, like, wait a minute. You don't, You don't. You believe there's spirits, but you don't believe there's God? Well... The world is pushing this on us. Movies like Coco, so that you get little kids to believe in life after death. Movies like Ghosts, where you romanticize it um, and you get people to believe uh, that way. Maleficent, um, where Maleficent, where the bad guy becomes the good guy. This is the move and the devil has a plan to move us in a certain direction so that we begin to believe things we otherwise would not. And even in celebrations like El Dia de los Muertos where people begin to literally go and talk to the dead or feed the dead and all the things that they do. Dress up like the dead. Young people, Christians should have no part in any of this. Not even in Halloween. I showed this slide here last fall at our church. This is what Anton Levine, the the, the man who founded the Church of Satan, says about Halloween. He says, I'm glad that Christian parents let their children worship the devil at least one night out of the year. Isaiah 18, 19, and 20 says, When they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits. And unto wizards that peep and that mutter should not a people seek unto their God for the living, to the dead, to the law, and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. just because there's some good philosophy and some things that make sense uh, doesn't mean that you ought to mix it in. Does everything they teach line up with scripture? Satan is a master of giving just enough of a lie mixed with some truth to lead people away. You've got to know the truth. The book, Darkness Before the Dawn, page 22, Ellen White says, if men had been willing to receive the truth so plainly stated in the scriptures concerning the nature of man and the state of the dead, they would see in the claims and manifestations of spiritualism, the working of Satan with power and signs and lying wonders but rather than yield the liberty so agreeable to the carnal heart and renounce the sins which they love, multitudes close their eyes to the light and walk straight on regardless of warnings. While Satan weaves his snares about them and they become his prey because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, therefore God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11. Acts of the Apostles again says, the warnings of the word of God regarding the peril surrounding the Christian church belong to us today. As in the days of the apostles, men tried by tradition and philosophy to destroy faith in the scriptures. So today by the pleasing sentiments of higher criticism, evolution, spiritualism, theosophy and pantheism, the enemy of righteousness is seeking to lead souls into forbidden paths. To many, the Bible is a lamp without oil because they have turned their minds into channels of speculative belief that bring misunderstanding and confusion. The work of higher criticism in dissecting, conjecturing, reconstructing is destroying faith in the Bible as a divine revelation. It is robbing God's word of power to control, uplift, and inspire human lives. She says, by spiritualism, multitudes are taught to believe that desire is the highest law, that license is liberty, and that man is accountable only to himself. And we see that. Last night, we um, night before last, we talked about the skyrocketing rates of sexually transmitted diseases. So it's so bad now that we they, they have to actually change how we treat gonorrhea. Because gonorrhea, what we used to give a shot of Rosefin, 250 milligrams, would knock it out. That's like giving it a, a Snickers bar now. It just, it just, just wakes up and starts stretching. We have to, we have to double the doses. We have to come up with new medications to treat these diseases because they're so plenteous. They're, they're becoming, um, re- resistant to antibiotics. Man says, listen, um, because of the, the principles of spiritualism, I, uh, it's, it's, it's my thing. I get to do what I want. That's the old song said, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. That is literally the words of the enemy himself. One of the great quotes from one of the great Satanists is, do as thou will shall be the whole of the law. They want you to think you can just do whatever you want. There is no God's law. That is the ultimate purpose of spiritualism, to erase God's law and hence erase the image of God in man by taking over control of this frontal lobe. The story of the sons of Sceva was so shocking. Acts 19 and verse 17 says, And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, that those guys got beat so bad they ran out of the house unclothed also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver So mighty grew the word of God, and I like this last part, and prevailed. I want you to know, young people, that God's word word will prevail again today. Doesn't matter how the enemy comes after us. It doesn't matter how the enemy tries to get us. If we stand on God's word, we are protected. I'll close with this story. I don't know my time is up, but let, let me give you this one closing story about death. One of the most difficult deaths I ever had to suffer in my life was one of my cousins. My cousin Sean was an incredible football player. When he played pop Warner football in Florida, he was like a man among boys, literally. He went to high school and was just like one of the standout players. He would play both ways, Ironman, offense and defense. When he got to uh, his last year or two of high school, he actually went to play for Gulliver Prep, a private school. That's where Madonna actually sent her kids. And he won them their first ever state championship. He played both ways, and I don't remember the numbers, but he scored five or six or seven touchdowns in that championship game. Gave the school their first state championship in Florida. Every school, every university in America was after him. He got, of course, a full ride scholarship to University of Miami. And in his first year, his freshman year at the University of Miami, they went to the Rose Bowl and won the national championship. So two years in a row, he won a state championship, then he won the national championship. He didn't even finish his time at the, at, um, at, um, the University of Miami. He entered the draft. And when he, when he entered the NFL draft, he went five, one, two, three, four, five overall in the NFL draft. He signed a $36 million contract. Let me tell you something, church. If somebody in your family signs a $36 million contract, people in your family, some of them might act a fool. Um, you know, fortunately, our family is pretty calm, but um, it is a crazy thing when someone signs a $36 million contract. But he had some issues and the media blew some of it out of proportion. Somebody came and stole. He had these uh, four wheelers and someone stole them from him and he went back into our old hood in Miami and to get them back. Um, and the way he did it wasn't great and he got in some trouble for that. Um, and so even though he was playing football, he was having those kinds of troubles and some other minor things had happened and they made a bad boy out of him on, on, you know, kind of on ESPN and stuff. But long story short, my grandmother prayed him out of all of those troubles. The same grandmother. She loved him. She actually did a lot of his raising. She spent time with him, teaching him the Sabbath school lesson and singing him hymns. He was in church, in Pathfinders, in choir until his father realized how good he was at football. And he started pulling him out to play on Saturdays because that's when Pop Warner plays. He was in his—I don't remember how many years—he was into the NFL, and this time he had his girlfriend had had a baby, and he was much more stabilized and so forth. And he had gone back. He got injured. He hurt his knee, and they were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so, since he was close to Miami, instead of going back to Virginia with the rest of the Redskins team—which I—I know they've changed their name now—but they were the Redskins then—he um, went back to Miami to check. He had a big fishing boat he loved, and he—you know—in his house and stuff. So he went down there to check on everything and see family. While he and his girlfriend and the baby were in the room sleeping that night, two guys, one at least, was armed, came in through a back bathroom window. And being our family's Jamaican, Sean took out a machete and came out of the room, but the guy had a gun. And he shot at Sean. And I don't know if he meant to hit him where he hit him, but he hit him in his femoral artery in his left thigh, which is the biggest artery artery of the lower extremity. And of course, being a world-class athlete, his heart pumps fast and his blood moves quick and he started to bleed. They called uh, finally, after his girlfriend thought that they had left, she was very afraid, so she stayed in the room with the baby because she didn't want the baby hurt, obviously. She came out, saw him bleeding, called 911. They took him by ambulance, airlifted him to Ryder Trauma Center at the, um, at the University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital complex. And there he was, laying there. They did surgery, and they spent $60,000 giving him albumin to keep his arteries, in, to keep his vessels open and to keep blood in there and him not, not be too swollen. When he got there and the surgery was done, everyone in the world was wanting to see what would happen. It's ESPN and all the news channels were outside. And my little Jamaican grandmother, was sitting there at his bedside while all of the hoopla was going on all around. She was whispering in his ear. My brother said he could hear her humming and singing sometimes and whispering in his ear. Days passed, and she basically stayed there the whole time talking to him, whispering in his ear. My brother asked her, did she want to go home and shower? And he'd bring her back and and she stayed. Until one morning, one of the mornings, he wasn't there very long, but one of the mornings while she was there, my grandmother prayed. While she was there and she was ministering to my cousin, the doctor and the nurse walks in. The doctor says, Sean, if you can hear me, blink, and he blinks. The doctor says, Sean, if you can hear me, he squeeze the nurse's hand. The nurse plays her hand there, and he squeezes the nurse's hand. The doctor looks at the nurse, nurse at the doctor, and they walk out. When they leave, my grandmother gets up and says, okay, I'm ready to go take the shower. I'm ready to go change. My brother says, wait a minute, but you, you prayed and it seems like he's, he might be getting better. He, no, time to go. ESPN announced Sean Taylor responds to the doctor, maybe he's going to get better but I believe it was within 24 hours that he passed away. I flew in from California and I made a beeline to my grandmother at one point. And I asked her mama, why? It seemed like he was getting better. Why did you leave right when he was getting, seemed like he might get better? My grandmother said the whole time I was whispering in his ear, the Bible verses I used to teach him as a child. I was singing with him the hymns and the songs that I used to sing with him to bring in the Sabbath and to worship with him. She said, I was reminding him of the gospel lessons I taught him, but I started to get tired, Ricky, she said. And when I started to get tired, I prayed and I said to God, I just need to know that he's heard me. She said, when she prayed that prayer, the doctor and the nurse walked in. Once she realized that he heard her, her work was finished and she went home. Let me tell you something, church. My prayer is that I'd one day see my cousin Sean Taylor on the streets of gold. And I want to say it, i tell you that story to tell you this, young people. There's no second chance after you die. Every chance you have is in this life. And you are, some of us are in a spiritual coma. We've spiritually bled out our strength. And our parents and our grandparents and our pastors are whispering in our ears the gospel truth. They're singing to us the hymns of Zion. They're trying to to develop us and, and, and prepare us for eternal life. And all they can hope is that you hear them. Because you won't get another chance. The dead know nothing. They don't get to come back. It doesn't matter what spiritualism teaches you. You, you, if you, if you don't find Christ in this life, you don't just lie, die the first death. You'll die the second death, an eternal death. So don't count on spiritualism, magic, witchcraft. There is no power in it. The power is in the blood of the lamb. And if you claim Jesus and claim his blood, even the demons will have to flee. Young person, do not give up on God. This Friday night, this Sabbath evening, Somebody out there is, 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 is struggling with knowing God. And I, I came to tell you, don't be like the sons of Skiva. Don't try and pray in the name of your mother's Jesus or your grandmother's Jesus. You've got to know him for yourself. And there's no better time than tonight. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and your truth Lord, we understand that all we like sheep have gone astray. There's none righteous, no, not one. Father God, you teach in your word that the good shepherd left the 99 and went after the one. Father God, somewhere listening to this message tonight is the one. Somewhere listening to this message tonight is someone who's gone astray and doesn't think that you care enough about them. Tonight, Lord, Teach them that the enemy does not care for them. All of the sophistry and all of the partying, all of the drugs and all of the relationships, all of the things the world could offer are but are pale and empty. Father God, tonight, help them to understand they need to fill the God-sized hole in their heart with you. Help them to know Jesus Christ as their friend, as their power, as their Redeemer and as their Savior, like the Apostle Paul did. But Father God, we don't have much time left on this earth. I pray that all of our young people would be ready when you come. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name tonight. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.